Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. The last time we recorded, it was right before Novak was uh, about to play his semifinal match with Alexander Zverev. So since then, catching up on all the action, he loses to Zverev in that semifinal, uh, then makes an admirable run through Davis Cup, but lost this morning to Croatia after winning his singles, losing his doubles with Filip Krajinovic against Pavic and Mektic. So the Novak Djokovic 2021 season is over. Joel, I want to rewind to Turin. What did you make of another victory by Alexander Zverev, just like the Olympics, uh, in three sets on a hard court against Novak in a semifinal? Well, just a great effort from Zverev to win that tournament again. He'd lost early in the round robin. To Medvedev beats him in the final, uh, kind of the whole round robin vibe. And I think for Novak, he clinched the year end number one. I wonder about his urgency at the tournament. Doesn't mean he didn't try and he was playing well earlier in it. And again, Zverev, Zverev, you know, it's interesting. I was writing something about him recently. He and Novak both taught fundamentals by a woman teacher. And there's an aspect of Zverev's game that's a lot like Novak's game, except with a bigger serve sometimes, sometimes. And I think he just played really well that day. What did you make of that match, Gil? Well, I thought it reminded me a little bit of 2020 Novak Djokovic end of the year. We had some discussions on the show about the rally tolerance uh, going down as perhaps his fitness was less than 100%. And I mean, Alexander was, was dominating the, the long rallies and was willing to stay in it a lot longer through sets two and three, I thought Djokovic was swinging somewhat wildly. The aggression was really through the roof and, and he won the second set. Uh, but that doesn't mean he, he won the second set with percentage tennis. I, I actually felt there was some, some redlining that ultimately resulted in a loose game in the third set where he made four unforced errors. So uh, for every game where you hit four winners, you're going to have that game where you hit four unforced errors when you play that brand of tennis. Uh, but I think you're right, Joel, the point to the time of year. And when it comes to rally tolerance specifically, uh, I never like to make broad conclusions about where Novak is at because you just know that physically and mentally, he's going to find a little bit something extra in points of the season that matter to him a little bit more than the very end. I thought that the second serve demons did not get Zverev, which was a key for him. And in a best of five, that may rear its its head. Um, the, the match could have gone either way. It was a close match. Um, and the the time of year to me was a factor and the um, the best of three versus best of five. But Zverev really peaked this year and it'll be interesting to watch his development and progress going forward. You know, it'd be interesting to have a conversation with players who've been number one in the world, who finished the year number one in the world and ask them truthfully, 
truthfully, what's it like competing after the US Open? Yeah. And I mean, you know, Amy, we've talked about this for years about what that time of year means. And I mean, number one player in the world. I don't need number two or number three who can gain points and rankings and wins and win your Paris indoors in Vienna and, and many other events and the season ending tournament. But just to ask them, it's almost like you could say, okay, tell you what, let's make a deal, Mr. Year and number one. You'll get to finish year and number one, but you're gonna get, gonna give you 25% less prize money, but you don't have to play any events after the US Open and you'll be number one. I mean, in other words, just, just the vibe, like you talk about shot tolerance and Pete Sampras talked about the travel, about going through one European indoor event after another and how that works on you. And uh, I don't know, it's just an interesting thing to, uh, to take into account. And I think again, for, for Zverev, yeah, upsides, hmm, and indoors, indoors, two out of three, let's go. Right. I mean, the suffering that Novak was willing to withstand in their U.S. Open match, I believe it was the third set. They played a 50-ball rally. Uh, and then on the very next point, Novak lost that point. On the very next point, uh, Novak was still willing to, to find, that, find what it took to win the next point on a break point. And that was like the inflection point of that match. That's, that's wanted. You know, that's where... Uh, perseverance is important on a tennis court in this one-on-one war. So uh, yeah, that's interesting, Joel, but we also all agree that, I mean, Zverev, unbelievable effort, not only against Novak, but against Medvedev. And one of the the macro takeaways, I think, from that event is, and this has happened multiple times in Zverev's career. So this is not this new first-time thing that we're seeing. If he can bring that level week in, week out, he's going to rise to the level of Djokovic and Medvedev on hard courts. And he's going to put a wrench, I think, into the whole dynamic. But that's been the case before. He just hasn't been able to maintain that. Well, the question for the guy who's three, like he is now, like Novak was, like guys like Nalbandian and, uh, and Dave, no, Dave Herrera wasn't, well, he got pretty high too, is how do you then make that next step or do you? And Murray, and that's kind of, that's kind of challenging. You never know. And if the person's going to end up being, oh yeah, this was the best guy in his time who didn't win a slam. Or is he? And I think Zverev has, obviously he's shown a great many of the tools, but we're still, I'm not still convinced much about the, the slam things. There are some better results this year, two semis, but we'll see. We'll see how he keeps broadening his arsenal. Don't you think it's mental though? What? It's, the whole game is mental. Okay, well, I'm just, Ferrer, I would say Ferrer, for example, because that's that's who we uh, compared it to. That wasn't mental. That was physical. He was never going to be able to get to that level, right? Well, not, not, not never, no, but it was like, it was going to be, it was going to be difficult. It was going to be difficult. It was going to, he was going to require some help. Whereas with Zverev, I think it's a question of tool building. And also, look, there's lots of things going on for him. He still has this uh, investigation going into these, these allegations. And, and it's also what I liked, I think what we so loved about Ferrer, he, his loyalty was true and focused and always. And I think Zverev creates distractions for himself. Some of the ways he, he talks about things, his existence, his, his, his existence in the tennis world. And uh, I don't know. I'm curious to see how he continues to evolve his game. Is he going to come up to net more? Is he going to dimensionalize? Is he going to improve his forehand? Lots of he- things. 
he is coming to net more, but I just wanted to throw in that on top of everything with Zvera further complicating, he gave an interview, I believe, in a German publication several years ago, indicating that he's diabetic. Not a lot of people know this about him, but he does. You will see him checking his blood sugar monitor sometimes. And um, that's really hard to maintain as a professional elite world-class athlete to maintain your blood sugar and make sure that um, you can get through that match. Um, that's something that I think is really tricky and it's admirable. He seems to have really uh, found his groove at least on that front this year. That might explain some of the five set slam challenges he's had where you could, there's a way a two out of three indoors, you can see that finish line a lot sooner at a two out of three set match indoors than you would in a best of five outdoors. And again, in Novak, you're right. Okay, a 50 ball rally. I don't care if I win or lose this rally. I don't need to win this rally to, make, to win the match. In fact, even losing the rally doesn't, that might be even better. So what? I lost the rally, but okay, let's do another mm -hmm. and yeah. another. I mean, Novak is just unbelievably fit, and he and he made some of those changes himself just over ten years ago. Well, Zverev has never been very successful in Australia, surprisingly. So we're going to see how he how he follows up his second career year-end championship title, and uh, we'll see if he can bring it and beat you know his chief rivals in a major. That's something that he has never done. Uh, in his career, uh, to, to to your points, Joel and Amy. Um, Davis Cup, Novak also um, has has played in, in Madrid. And, you know, there are some issues with, with the, the format of the event, the distribution of the event that I think is, uh, we don't need to get into in depth, but has made it really difficult to follow. And I feel like there's a lot less energy around the event, but, uh, not lacking energy is Novak, who continues to say the reason I'm playing is for my country. I love wearing a shirt that says Serbia. I love playing with my teammates. And uh, Amy, it was a pretty good performance by Novak and Davis Cup, although Serbia loses in the semifinals to Croatia. In singles, the guy is just money in the bank. I mean, he, he didn't even have his serve broken again um, throughout the tournament. And uh, just watching him against Chilich today, I thought if Roger Federer makes winning look easy, Novak makes winning look hard. In other words, your opponent thinks I can never do what he does, stretching his body out, getting to balls, just making balls that he had no business or no right making. It's just demoralizing. And he, he kind of demoralized Chilich today. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, but it was interesting when you were watching the the doubles, Amy, and they go up against Mektic and Pavic, who uh, they've just had an unbelievable year. They are clearly far and away the best doubles team in the world. What did you see when, uh, you know, Djokovic and Krajinovic, two singles players going up against those two? That it was almost a, a foregone conclusion, although they, the Serbians tried their butts off. They tried. They just didn't have answers. Like the Croatians had all the answers and especially at the net, their positioning and knowing when to get really hot at the net and when to, you know, back off and, and cover lobs and that kind of thing. It's almost become like a third nature, not even second nature to them. So um, the volleying and the um, reaction and the hands Novak with his, you know, with his great defensive skills, it just, it's, it's more of an offensive game. Well, also doubles the choreography of a team like those two who know where to go and how to absorb Novak's ground strokes and Novak's way of how he, how he wins points. I mean, you know, it's kind of, it's a little sad for me to see, you know, about how, how the style of the way the game is played has evolved to such a point the, the style the economics the choices the fact that the top players don't don't feel a need or to play doubles a lot of that is economic and that's okay i mean that they i accept that in some ways but in other ways the building of styles i mean you know it's funny just a few weeks ago we were talking about novak serving and volleying more in singles in singles but that doesn't mean in doubles and and doubles is a different deal serving volleying is different in doubles and different returns and and the partner thing it's just it just shows you how tennis, how the evolution of skills is built in tennis. I sound like someone in uh, an American football talking 60 years ago about how we used to play offense and defense in the same game. And now we're uh-huh. playing offense and defense. But in a way, <laughs> this is what pro tennis has become. I think, though, um, just to give a mini cameo for our, our recreational world, it doesn't have to be that way recreationally, but at the pro level, I mean, high level pro doubles is a real art form. Okay, the biggest story in tennis in the last couple of weeks is undoubtedly the Peng Shui situation. Obviously, we want to talk about um, how this has been responded to by Federer Nadal and Djokovic. And I know, Amy, that you've watched that closely. Novak Djokovic was really out front when this whole thing was happening. He was the first one of the three to, you know, jump into the discussion on social media and say, we've got to find her, we've got to make sure she's safe. I support the WTA, you know, 
pretty decisive and strong words. Um, and then we didn't hear anything from Roger Federer. And, you know, keep in mind, like, we're hearing from the ATP, we're hearing from the President of the United States, we're hearing from the United Nations, you know, all these, Billie Jean King, Andy Murray, you know, and we're, Wimbledon, and we're still not hearing anything from Roger Federer. And then rather than put anything on social media, he, in a, during an interview that he gave, was asked about it and, you know, said something very minimal. Well, I hope that she is safe. And of course, we, you know, want her, the best for her and her well-being. And I just found it very interesting that the very next day, Nadal choreographed his response in lockstep, the very same way he, in an interview, was asked about it and did that, but nothing on social media, not part of the hashtag movement, anything like that, no official statement. And some people said, oh, well, you know, Roger Federer has a lot of business interests in China. They all do. We all do. Um, even if you are not sponsored by a Chinese company, whatever company sponsors you, I can guarantee you has probably some business interest in China. So um, that really is not material. I understand that Federer has to be very careful, but um, I was uh, personally, in my, my opinion, I was really impressed by the strong way that Djokovic came out and he has since spoken about it again and um, not not too high on what the other two did but maybe as part of the ATP council they can show some leadership on down the road. Let's see for example as things continue the ATP still has events scheduled in China and uh Roger Federer put out that tweet some time ago that says, oh, I was thinking it'd be time for the ATP and WTA to maybe merge or work together. Nadal seconded it. And Novak with the PTPA has spoken about the both genders working together. So here is the opportunity. So that'll be interesting to see as the calendar advances and players make their decisions about whether they're going to play in China. I mean, I'd like to think that if I was a top 50 player, male player now, that I would say, okay, I will, I, I too, I'm not going to play. And you could even say the ATP, go ahead, find me. Find me for skipping the right. master series event that I should be playing in Shanghai or whatever. Many of the ATP players said that it, they would be fine if they didn't play in China, including Jan, our, our favorite, Jan Leonard Struff, came out and said, I would be more than fine if I didn't have to play whatever in China. Well, and he, and he might be seated. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. <laughs> he's, Mr. he's Captain 34. Um, so, well, then let's see, then good. Then it's, then we can see how the action occurs, if the action occurs at the institutional level with the ATP doing what the WTA said, or individual players leading a ground soul themselves and saying, not me, not me. And the ATP saying, wow, enough of our players see it this way. I mean, it's, it's interesting to see. And I wonder how um, Andrea Gadenzi and the other ATP leadership are looking at this, as well, as, really the ITF. as well as the ITF. What about things like the, uh, the um, 
Billie Jean King Cup and the Davis Cup. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that the ATP did not act in lockstep with the WTA. It really does make it seem like the entire Tennis United campaign and Gaudenzi uh, ultimately being someone who's publicly been an advocate for some sort of a, of a merger. It's surprising that, that he didn't make that move, especially considering that the WTA has nine events in China, including their tour finals. The ATP has a whole lot less. So it's a, it's a smaller slice of the pie that, that they are still uh, choosing to hold on to. With that being said, uh, and I have, I've had a very clear conscience about covering this story, being vocal and unfiltered about this story. I, I struggle to, to judge anyone, especially individuals, and give corporations a little bit less slack, I think, who, who protect their money. You know, if you make the ch- if you make the choice to protect your money, it kind of reminds me of the uh, of the active shooter. Would you be the one to go try to disarm the active shooter? And everyone wants to say that they would in their shoes. Everyone wants to believe I would want to believe that I would be the the brave person to try to save lives and risk my own. Everyone wants to believe that they are that person, but you don't know unless you're there in that situation. So I just hesitate, you know, and while I, while I do want to praise Novak, while I do want to praise the WTA, especially uh, because they really, I believe they will lose a lot of money over this. uh, Anyone who has put their values in front of that profit, I commend, but anyone who has chosen not to do that, I, I can't come down so hard because I think it's a difficult thing and, and it's a lot easier to say that they should sacrifice those dollars than to actually be in the position and do it. That's a great point. Now, I would add, I'm going to add a, a parallel utopian notion. WTA for years has been unable to attract a title sponsor since the Sony Ericsson days. And it'd be very interesting that, that women's tennis has once again shown itself with this act as a vanguard of some social consciousness, going back to when the tour itself was started with Billie Jean King and then people like Navratilova and others. So what if a company or some companies said, women's tennis, you stand for the kind of values that we're about, whether we're a financial services company, whether we're a consumer products company, I don't know what that company, a technology company, you are leaders. Look who, you women's tennis players, you are leaders in the world. So we are going to align ourselves with women's tennis for that reason. And we're going to create, you know, parallel programs for people of different ages to engage with our, you know, because, because companies are always looking to show when they sponsor things that they stand for something more than just their, their commodity product, you know, that they have a value proposition to offer. So it'd be very interesting to see if some sponsors thought women's tennis has something really going for it. That could be interesting because, is the WTA just took a major, um, decided to take a major economic hit with this. I mean, yeah, but again, it's going to be hard to find a major company like, um, you know, a L'Oreal or a, or a um, CoverGirl or Maybelline or something like that, that doesn't have some interest in China because a lot of the products or the containers or what or, or some ingredient comes from China. So, I mean, this sweater that I'm wearing, I, I can almost guarantee you was made in China, you know, but that, that being said, with regard to the ATP, I did want to point out that 
you can, this is just a fact, you can judge it however you want. ATP media, which is an arm of the ATP, um, technically separate but related, is partially owned by a Chinese interest or a, a Chinese company. So there is that to consider. Um, so that may be some reason why they weren't able to cancel their, their tournaments there. Interesting. Or, well, yeah, I think, I, I don't know that, I, did you mean they, they could have or, or they couldn't have or they, a reason why they chose not to? Reason why they chose not to, okay. potentially. Right. Potentially. And, and, and by the way, Roger Federer has a deal to play an exhibition every year in China up until 2023. It's something he did uh, the last time he finished the, the year healthy. I think he did that. That may have been uh, 2019. It is in, um, I don't I don't have the city on me, unfortunately. But uh, And also, by the way, Federer and Nadal are both Nike athletes. And Nike in China have a very prominent uh, collaboration. So yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to get away from those ties. Uh, any, any thoughts on, on the PTPA further though? I mean, can they get involved in this in any capacity or do you think they're just not really ready to take this on beyond what they've done already, which is release a statement? Outside of Kasapol's interviews and things, I'm not quite sure what the PTPA has, has yet shown itself ready to do. That said, it could, yeah, they they put out a statement, um, very strong support of of the WTA. They have the potential to organize something. It could be a hard boycott. It could be a soft boycott. It could be a sick out where, you know, the players are like, ah, I've got this nagging elbow injury. I'm not going to play Shanghai or, or whatever. Um, but as I told you guys when we were off air, it's hard for them to organize a boycott right now when they're not organized themselves. So as you guys like to point out, it just remains to be seen what the PTPA does going forward. But right, but this is a certain kind of like, let's just pretend that the PTPA formally existed and six months ago it had been more, it does exist, but it, it, it looked like it was organized. This would be a PTPA worth topic. So, yes. so that's, so in a way, maybe sometimes the organization was just to create first and then comes the, um, and then comes the event. But sometimes it reminds me of what, uh, one of my friends who learned who was pregnant says, well, just about everything in life, you never quite have enough information. Right. You know, it's like sometimes things happen, things happen a little sooner than you think you want them to happen. And you never have as much information as you think. And sometimes you just gotta go anyway. So in a way, the PTPA could, could vault itself. You know, this could be a large, gain for the PTPA if it took a stand in that from meager status to like, here we are. I thought Novak, um, just to bring it back to Novak full circle, he made an interesting comment because he was asked about it yesterday, I think, in a press conference, what is the PTA, PTPA going to do about the Peng Shui situation? And he said, remember, I'm not the president. I'm one of the co-founders. I'm still involved. You know, we're moving things along, but I, I am not the president of this organization. So I think that gives a little insight into where he's at with that right now. Do, do you, Yeah, I mean, to me, it sounds like, you know, it was a way of saying I'm not ready to answer this question right now in a diplomatic way of 
of, of not having to, to answer that question. Uh, I, I mean, the statement was made. It's just a question of, obviously, the WTA stands above all because it's, it's one thing to post on social media. It's one thing to do what we're doing, what I've done, which is talk about it and publicize it, which was very important in the beginning, by the way. And if that didn't happen in the beginning, then none of this would have been possible. But the WTA has actually acted. Um, and that is a lot more powerful than anything anyone can say. Uh, in terms of the PTPA and uh, the work stoppage, you know, kind of union, uh, obviously those things are so associated with each other, unions and work stoppages. Yeah, I think, Joel, you make a really good point. For the PTPA to really gain as much traction as they probably hope to, the players need to be very upset about something, right? Because that's breaking the status quo. If the players aren't upset about something, then this PTPA thing is not going to work. I don't know if the Peng Shui development, is that something that is going to unite all the players against the establishment? I would think probably not, but well, I, that's a good thing just to keep in mind. Let's just say there's, not, there's, there's different establishments going on. So in a way, the principled stand of the establishment being the Chinese government is one thing. The establishment of being the establishments, and this is my whole dilemma, the, PTPA, the establishment being the very tour that they're partners with. You know, again, that's what I think is sometimes misunderstood here. The ATP is not management. The ATP is management and labor, and it's a complicated alliance that's existed for 30 plus years. So it's different than the NBA or the NFL. So, yep. but, but the PTPA, it's interesting to see what it, what it stands for. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out when it wishes to have more money, where it wants that money to go and to whom, because I haven't heard anything from the PTPA about it. So maybe, maybe just cut them slack, possibly sell them and say, all right, we just got to keep thinking some more and figure out what we really want to be and what we're trying to accomplish. And so we'll, I await. Right. And I think when we, whenever we talk about the PTPA, we're not necessarily talking about only the PTPA, but sometimes just conceptually, the concept of players potentially being organized because they're not really in, in any way, right? No, the sport doesn't lend itself to it. The very nature of the sport. That's why it's interesting. I, I find it interesting when the basketball players take some action they do take it collectively because that's how their very sport is played. They understand that their sport is a team sport. So they, uh, they, they get in the DNA of their very sport that there's strength in numbers. Tennis, tennis is just the opposite. I mean, this sport was conceived in fiefdoms. That's, that's one of the attractions of tennis is that you don't have to answer to someone. However, however, at certain moments, that creates a lot of problems. There have been numerous attempts to unionize and organize fighters, MMA fighters, who are, by the way, more grossly underpaid by tennis players, and it's not close. And those attempts are ongoing. No one has been successful. Uh, so there's another individual sport and a good point. And let's end it on that as uh, the Peng Shui situation still unresolved. Um, and obviously we hope for, for some sort of resolution or some sort of progress, but this has been at a standstill now in terms of what the CCP has been able to provide the public for, uh, I think, over a week now. Uh, but that'll do it for this episode of three. We head into the off season. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, 
leave a like, leave a comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of Three.